Hey y'all and welcome back to another episode of LA Unmastered, the bi-monthly music podcast that has been monthly the last three months. My bad. <laughs> I'm Lauren Allen, aka LA when I'm doing hot girl shit. Okay, okay. So let me keep it really, really real because I know I can with y'all. I love making this show. It has brought me so much peace during this year, but my brain has other plans sometimes. In the last three weeks, my energy has been lower, my creative juices were not flowing, and my focus was not clear. I opened my laptop almost every day and would type a few words, then be over it. I changed the theme of this episode twice before I even settled on this one. By the time I started getting in the groove again, we had already reached the middle of December. So the only thing that makes sense is to contemplate the purpose of this year and set some intentions for 2021. And although there were no concerts or shows, many musicians really stepped up in more ways than one. They gave us so much new music to hold us over. I don't know where I would have been this year without a quarantine soundtrack. None of us will ever forget 2020. There has been so much chaos and heartache. But there has also been rays of joy and growth from introspection. With that said, I'm not going to spend this episode harping on all the horrors of this year. Instead, I want this to be a reflection of the tumultuous year that we survived. And that is the triumph. best parts of this year was watching our favorite artists get creative without being able to perform live in person. A lot of artists put together virtual concerts for us to vibe to and hopped on the internet and just bared their soul in the form of song. One of the best trends was animated music videos. So damn cool. The first one I saw was Come On Over by Georgia Smith featuring Popcon. I was wrapped up in it. When I tell you it took me back to my youth when I used to sneak in the basement to watch Eon Flux on MTV. What's wild is that I read in Fader that Eon Flux was an inspiration for the video. I knew it. Honestly, I enjoyed this music video so much more than the recent ones I've seen. The video Billie Eilish did for My Future was really good too. And Robert Glasper just dropped an animated version of Better Than I Imagined. Okay, so there were two albums specifically that I've been waiting for, Busta and Megan. Let's start with Busta Rhymes. The day before Halloween, Busta released Extinction Level Event 2, The Wrath of God, a sequel, if you will, to the 1998 Extinction Level Event album with classics like Give Me Some More and What's It Gonna Be featuring Miss Jackson. Yeah, I'm nasty. (laughs) Did you get it? I know. I'm funny. I'm funny. I listened to all 22 tracks straight through twice back to back. That's how much I loved it. I missed Busta, man. 
And I have no idea why this album ain't getting more love. He put his whole foot up in this record. Busta spoke for the people on this one. He didn't mince his words. He made it very clear where he stands and that's with us. No confusion. On the second track, The Purge, he starts off, sorry country, I know you don't want this really, but until we get some justice, we fucking every city up. Drastic measures is urgent, the city burning like Philly blunts. Yes, Busta Bus, yes. This album also has everyone us old heads could want. I mean, it starts off with the intro, which features Rakim and Pete Rock. You got Q-Tip, Mariah, Mary J, and Belle DeVoe. And let's not forget to mention ODB on Slow Flow, which I think is one of the top tracks on this album. But even with all these legends, his solo tracks are primo, reminding you that Busta don't need nobody to make his shit hot. And since this album is so long, I won't take you through every track, but I will say that the must hear no feature tracks aside from The Purge are Boomp, True Indeed, Deep Thought, which has this jazzy ass beat that I love, takes me back to most deaf during the brown sugar days. And coincidentally, the last song on his album is my first pick. His flow on Satanic is just divine, if you will. It is basically a war of God versus the devil, the age old good versus evil. He's saying that we can do bad things and have blasphemous behavior, but we need to come back to the light. Our values can't be evil and dark. I love this line. You portray a lot of shit with no rehearsal, but in life we don't rehearse. What you do can come back and hurt you. I'm a very spiritual person and my number one belief system is rooted in karma. What goes around comes around. This track is a lesson to us all and he's bringing us a message we all need to heed. And until then, watch how the devil will work through. Look at what you've become and what the devil gave birth to. When shit was going wrong, where was your head at? When your energy was left exposed, what entered your life? He is on another plane and deserves all the damn respect in the world. Okay, on November 20th, Megan dropped her anticipated debut LP, Good News. And I told y'all when she announced this album that I was going to have my mama doing hot girl shit. And guess what she did? We had a good time on my birthday. All right, so I need to keep it 100. I didn't really love this album as much as I wanted to. I bought it without listening to it because some artists I will just support, no questions asked. The year that Megan had, she deserved all her damn flowers and money. The album itself starts out strong with Shots Fired. And I love that it samples Biggie's Who Shot Ya. So I was already here for it. The lyrics were hilarious and got all up in that troll's ass and I love to hear it. I'm so here for this. Now, here we are 20, 28 months later, and we still ain't got no fucking justice for Breonna Taylor. Any nigga on that nigga's side is a clout chaser. Fuck y'all. Nailed it. Um, And when she was like, I'm a mistake, you a side plate shrimp. Stay in your place. I busted out laughing because, yes, you order shrimp on the side of your steak. But also, I know that's because he's mad tiny. I fucking love when she said, Oh shit, it's a lot of weak niggas in this bitch. They confused. They hate me, but watch my videos beating they dick. (laughs) 
because you know this shit is true. But after this one, I wasn't really vibing until Sugar Baby. That shit was a fun track. She said, invest in this pussy boy, support black business. I fell out and also wrote that shit down because that is a word, a message and a mood. Freaky Girls featuring SZA was cool. Wanted more out of that for sure. Body is absolutely a fun-ass song. It was made to be an IG challenge, but let's keep it funky. She's just repeating body over and over and over again, saying the same shit she keeps saying. You know, long dick, tight pussy, fucking sucking ass titties. And y'all know I live for all those things. But like, what else you got? Because I want more than just that. I talked about it on the show when I went through WAP. I love women talking about their sexual adventures and their bodies. But I don't want just that. Like, I stay horned up, but I want to hear some real hot girl shit. You feel me? The thing is, I know she's lyrically capable because some of her lines are just incredible. Like, on Outside, she says, Baby, can you tell me? Have you ever heard of polygamy? It's only me and you, but I got so many personalities. I just think that she has more growing to do as an artist. Nonetheless, I have to remember that Megan is only 25 years old. I'm 10 years older than her. We are from different generations. The kids want to hear about ass shaking on dicks, Instagram beefs, and getting money from these dudes. For me, I get bored. And I've got to say, in the middle of a pandemic, when me and millions of others are unemployed and struggling and hurting... Her constantly rhyming about how she's got it like that is just not the vibe I'm looking for right now. In addition, she has 17 tracks with Busta, who has been at this for a long ass time, who has perfected his art. Listening to 22 tracks is easy. With this album, I found it difficult to even get through all these tracks. And why, for the love of God, does she make Don't Rock Me to Sleep? Female rappers, y'all don't need to have a track where y'all are singing if singing ain't your strong suit. It's like a weird staple track. Nicki has done it, so has Cardi. I mean, Save Me on Pink Friday, that was my jam. But Grand Piano on Pink Print was not. I did very much love Intercourse featuring Popcon and Mustard, aka DJ Mustard. And I appreciate her not trying to put on a fake-ass Caribbean accent. She kept it Southern and all the way funky. And she holds her own on Go Crazy with Big Sean and 2 Chains. I want more of that shit. She's in beast mode on that track. And I want her to let that out just a little bit more. As a community, we refrain from critiquing one another because we already get judged by everyone that ain't us. However, I want true equality, which means I want to be able to speak the truth about black artists. We are not always going to love something we put out just because we are black. Reminder, we are not a monolith. Also, as a fellow black female, there is nothing behind my impressions of this album aside from the music. As an artist, as a performer, as a person, I adore her. This album, especially in the midst of this crazy ass year, was decent. Shit, the fact that she even was able to put out an album is fucking incredible. Good News is a good debut. I very much look forward to her growth as a lyricist and her becoming more fitted into her flow. 
I need to honor Scott Muscutty real quick. I did not get into Man on the Moon 3 yet. Honestly, my brain is not really in the best place for this album. I started listening to Loving Me with Phoebe Bridgers. And as soon as I put that song on, I was in tears. So I promise you by the next episode, I will have a full review. Aside from new albums, we got a lot of new singles and EPs. Speaking of talented rappers, Tierra Wack has been dropping jewels all over the place. Like Busta, the day before Halloween, she put out a new track called Dora. Yes, this is also a song about living lavishly and how this man needs to step up and support her even though she's got her own. Yeah, open the door. Tell him that you're tired of being poor. I need a change, nigga. Yeah, styling galore. Oh, I love that. The thing about Tiara, this is not her usual aesthetic. So she's not always rhyming about money and shit like that. Also, in this track, her flow is flawless and her lyrics are dripped with intelligence. And just a few short weeks later, she blessed us with peppers and onions and feel good. Peppers and onions is real. It starts with, you got to be the one that people are looking up to. I tried to reach the sun, but gum is stuck on my shoes. I feel that shit. I keep going, trying to reach my successes in life, but I'm being held back by the circumstances of life and just myself. Like she says, I'm only human. I'm not perfect, just a person. I'm only human, sometimes happy, sometimes nervous. When I speak on the brilliance of her lyrics, this is why. She says, I get lost sometimes. Italy, I roam. (laughs) That part got me. But I also love this. Shit crazy out here. Have you high on drugs? Damn. To be real, man, I thought about pulling the plug. Ugh. So I can go fly high with the ones above. Oh, you can interpret that as, yeah, life got you out here wanting to take drugs just to feel something or feel nothing. I even thought about hitting up my plug so I could get high like I'm flying. But truly and sadly, what she's saying here is that she thought about committing suicide to leave this life and to go be with the ones who've already passed on. During these times, this is not an uncommon feeling. We are all experiencing emotions that we are not used to or that can be overwhelming. With holidays here, I know that things can feel even worse than ever before. If you need to talk to someone or you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, please, please call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It's 1-800-273-8255. Again, that is 1-800-273-8255. The song is truly her being vulnerable and making realizations and finding her newfound place in this industry. It is filled with doubts, but she recognizes her strengths and her needs. The pros and cons of being the bomb. Baby, you can have the tick and it might not be your time, but oftentimes I got to remind myself to combine my thoughts and never deny my health. I needed to hear that. I know I am beyond talented and capable as a marketer, but unfortunately, my time to be the boss ass bitch that I am has not come yet. And knowing all that, I have to prioritize my physical and mental health. Her track Feel Good made me feel seen. It is exactly one minute long and it's like a message to the soul. Right off the grip, she says, why would I lie and say I feel good when I don't feel good? All I really want is to be happy and truly feel good. That's a whole 2020 mood right there. But the part that had me crying 
it goes happy this, it goes happy that, but somehow I can't seem to find happy whack. Where did she go? That part fucking hits. I'll get into more of that later and how I've also pulled a 180 in my thought process, but that's the way I feel. I feel like I lost myself, my jovial, happy self. Like that shit she's talking about is real. Shout out to Tiara. I hope she knows how much she is loved and that her speaking about her mental health struggles through her music is everything. This is important for us in the black community to hear, especially black women. We are not required to live up to that belief that we are just supposed to be silent and strong. Next up, my fave new rapper Chica released FWB, aka Friends with Benefits, on December 10th. She has been teasing new music here and there on Twitter. A lot of times she's just going off the dome. I was always waiting for her to officially drop a new track so I could support my number one. So when she dropped FWB, I was all for it. She is singing and rhyming, which is her norm. There's a difference. And I just love it. The song is about exactly what you think it is. She starts off saying, I don't want your love. I just need your touch. Yeah. My favorite line, though, is right after it. She says, yeah, I want to feel, but I ain't trying to trust. When I tell you this is my motto right here, like I love love and all that, but trusting someone, nah, yo. She proceeds to keep it 100 in the chorus. Please don't get ahead of it. I'm here for the benefits. AKA a good time, not a long time, baby. I'm hoping we get a full LP from her in 2021. Speaking of my favorite new artists, my Wisconsin punk boo, Kenny Hoopla, hopped on a track with my favorite drummer, Travis Barker. The day before my birthday, they dropped Estella. Now, this song is the complete opposite of Friends with Benefits. Estella is Kenny's friend that he is in love with. He's asking her to take a chance. He wants to take it to the next level, but he's waiting for her to give him the 10 to his 90. Homie says this line and it fucking hits. I just die at the thought of being alive at the same time as you. Damn. It's like, how lucky am I to share in this life that you are in? How is he only 20 years old writing lyrics like these? I really cannot wait to see Kenny live. Uh, And just the thought of him and Travis touring together gets me so damn hyped. Let me tell you, I saw Travis Barker when he toured with that Louisiana rapper who doesn't believe in racism. Um, And then Travis fucking killed it. It was the I Am Music 2 tour. I saw Nicki and Rick Ross too. It was actually a perfect combo. 2011 was a year, man. Let me tell you, that was a good year for music. Speaking of pop punk, Machine Gun Kelly has really been out there making bops and I want him to get the credit he deserves. Let me put it this way. He is this generation's version of Pink. When he came out, the person who oversaw his label, aka Diddy, sold him as a rock star white boy rapper. Honestly, he opened the gates for artists like Post Malone. A fact. However, MGK wanted to actually rock out. So as he got older and began to evolve as an artist, he started making the music he truly wanted to make. And just to point out, Diddy and L.A. Reid have known each other a long time and have collabed in the past. Just as a reminder from episode two, L.A. Reid was running Interscope while Pink was pushed as an R&B singer. 
Tickets to My Downfall is a dope-ass album. I'm here for it. It came out in late September. The best tunes for me are Bloody Valentine, mostly because my girl Megan Fox is in that video. She's his boo, and I wholeheartedly support this couple. The next one is Forget Me Too with Halsey, which is co-written by Travis Barker. We can all relate hard to this song. It's about a relationship that has ended, but then you run into this person at a party. Oh, remember those? <laughs> and then the drinks start flowing and somehow you end up in bed together again. Like, now what do we do? And it's straight up just like, you want me to forget you? Okay, forget me too. But my favorite is my ex's best friend. These lyrics are extremely smart and it's super subtle. The first line of the song is, you know my ex, so that makes it all feel complicated. In the first verse, he goes on to say, because my boy's new girl is your best friend. But it's like, if she is his ex's best friend, then that means your homie is dating your ex. So this whole shit is a mess. So it makes sense why Black Bear jumps in with, first off, I'm not sorry. I won't apologize to nobody. Here for the mess. And you have to see Melanie Cruz and her man do a hilarious Reels video to this song. So perfect. Find her at M-A-L-E-N-I Cruz, C-R-U-Z. All right, so let's get into the Grammys. So the Grammy nods came at the end of November. And boy, was that a whole ass mess. But before I dig into that, I want to give it up to some of the artists who were nominated and deserved every ounce of it. Chica, who I featured on my very first episode during Uncharted, and I just mentioned five minutes ago with FWB, has been nominated for Best New Artist. Her talent is undeniable. Her lyrics are absolutely brilliant. She is in pretty good company, too. Megan Thee Stallion and Phoebe Bridgers are also in this category. And just as confusing as Phoebe being considered a new artist, Kay Trinata is also up for this nod as well. Were we all not aware of Kay by at least 2016? It was 99.9% .9 not in everyone's constant rotation. This right here is why people should not put so much reliability in these damn awards. Does Kay deserve to be nominated? 1000% as a new artist though? Mm. But 10% off of Bubba was nominated for Best Dance Recording, which, duh. And Bubba was nominated for Best Dance Electronic Album. My homie Joss, whose musical taste is as eclectic and weird as mine, put me on to Black Pumas. He posted the song Black Moon Rising a few months back, and I was hooked. They are so damn talented and give us the soul music we need in the 21st century. Their track, Colors, off of their self-titled album, has been nominated for Record of the Year and Best American Roots Performance. And the deluxe edition of their album has been nominated for Album of the Year. If you have never checked out their music, please do. They are a whole vibe. Woman in Music Part 3 by my favorite group of sisters, Haim, has also been nominated for Album of the Year. Their song, The Steps, is also up for Best Rock Performance. And this is another category filled with amazingness. Fiona Apple's Shamika, Kyoto by Phoebe, and my girl Brittany motherfucking Howard is nominated for Stay High, which is perfection. Brittany is also up for Best R&B Performance with Goathead. Her voice, the chills I always get, yes. 
And those three are all up for best rock song and best alternative music album. I love to see these categories being dominated by women. Want to give a shout out to Giveon for being nominated for best R&B album with Take Time. And Robert Glasper, her and Michelle and DiCello are up for best R&B song with Better Than I Imagined. I would also like to give it up to myself for mentioning a good chunk of these artists and songs on the show. I'll be telling y'all I'll be knowing shit. So I hope you listen to me. I know there are a bunch of people I am missing like Thundercat, Janae and Free Nationals, but I'll be here forever. So last but not least, shout out to Freddie Gibbs and The Alchemist for being nominated for Best Rap Album for Alfredo. This is more than well-deserved and a long time coming. Okay, so what I don't like is that the major successes of these artists were overshadowed by bruised egos. Artists were big mad. First up, we got The Weeknd. Now, Mr. Abel has been nominated 10 times and has won three times since 2015. However, this was the year he decided to speak up. Why? Because he wasn't nominated. This leads me to wonder, what would he have said if he was nominated? Would he have still made his stance about corruption or would he have thanked the Academy for all of their support? The elite constantly remind us where they stand and it's usually only when it affects them personally. Now, let me say this. The weekend has been extremely vocal when it comes down to the injustices we face as a people, especially over this last year. He has used his platform for good, including his acceptance speech at the 2020 MCV VMAs, where he spoke about Breonna Taylor and Jacob Blake. I love to see that. With that said, I do want to get back to where he says the corruption of the Academy stems from. He states that the reason the Academy snubbed him was because he chose to perform at the Super Bowl instead of the Grammys. I see two things wrong with that. One, that's fucked up if this was the reason he was not nominated, which again proves that the Recording Academy is all about politicking, favors, money, it's all quid pro quo. We've known this because other artists have been saying this for years. I mean, let's use the 2013 Best Rap Album category. Macklemore and Ryan Lewis won for their album Heist over Good Kid Mad City by Kendrick, Magna Carta Holy Grail by Jay-Z, Nothing Was the Same by Drake, and Yeezus by Thou Who I Do Not Speak Of. To me, Kenny had the best album in that category. That album is damn near perfection, no matter how I feel about him at the moment. The fact that Macklemore won over him or Anyone in that category definitely let us know that the Academy is utter shit. The second thing I see wrong with what The Weeknd said is, "Mm, the Super Bowl? You mean the final game for the NFL? The sports league that we don't fuck with? That put out some bullshit statement a few months ago during the movement just to save face? The same league that fucked with Cap's whole livelihood because he was saying the same shit that they claim to agree with now? The same league that has done absolutely nothing for the betterment of black people who make up 70% of said league? Oh, okay, because I thought you said something else. The elite have this tendency to do shit like this and we all need to recognize it. Like, how removed are you? You want us to come to your defense because you chose to take a grip of money from an organization that doesn't give a shit about us instead of performing for another organization that also doesn't care about us? Yeah, pass. Next, I need to address Nikki's tweet about the Grammys. Queen Barb said, 
Never forget the Grammys didn't give me the Best New Artist Award when I had seven songs simultaneously charting on Billboard and a bigger first week than any female rapper in the last decade went on to inspire a generation. They gave it to a white man, Bonnie Vare. Hashtag Pink Friday. The best part about all that, though, is that it sent the barbs into Bon Jovi's DMs and tweets. It was hilarious, and I was living. Now, she's referring to the 2012 Best New Artist category. The nominees were her, J. Cole, The Ben Perry, Skrillex, and Bon Iver, who won. Listen... I was in the height of my Nikki love too. I listened to Pink Friday, Robot Reloaded Deluxe Edition on constant rotation. But nowhere in this tweet is she mentioning her talent. She's mentioning where she charted. So let me get this straight. The Grammys are supposed to go to those who were the highest on the Billboard charts? Okay, I got it. Now let's talk about Bon Iver, which is an indie folk band led by Justin Vernon. What cracks me up about this is that Justin Vernon was on Monster, which featured one of her best verses ever, only second, in my opinion, to the entirety of Itty Bitty Piggy. So it's funny that she's just like this random ass white man who she knows and knows is talented. Listen, I just got into Bon Iver in 2018 when a friend of mine sent me Blood Bank. It is a fantastic tune and a great EP. It features The Woods, which I didn't realize was used on Saint's Daddy's track, Lost in the World. So to me, yeah, it's weird Bon Iver won Best New Artist because they had already been around for three years. So I guess she has a point, but the tweet is weird and unnecessary in the conversation. And also, girl, what happened in the Best Rap Performance when Moment for Life lost to Otis by Jay and the other one? What about losing to my beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy, which you will never hear me say this again, so you better take it all in, is one of the greatest albums of all time. Not rap album, albums. He was my favorite, I hope y'all know. I'm still trying to make peace with that, clearly, but I will never separate the artist from the person because if I keep supporting you as an artist, I'm putting money in the pockets of the person who, as we all know, will line the pockets of the people we hate. But that's a whole other show. (laughs) My point is, let's call it what it is, girl. You just didn't win that year. And like I said, I was a peak Nikki stan at the time, but I think of all people, it should have went to Cole. Sorry, not sorry. Now, the absolute best was Bieber being mad that he wasn't nominated for in the R&B category. Bieb said... Changes was and is an R&B album. It's not being acknowledged as an R&B album, which is very strange to me. I grew up admiring R&B music and wished to make a project that would embody that sound. For this not to be put into that category feels weird, considering from the chords to the melodies to the vocal style, all the way down to the hip hop drums that were chosen, it is undeniably, unmistakably an R&B album. Okay. Wah, wah, wah. I used hip hop drums and I tried to do runs like I heard black singers do and I like black singers and mimic them on this album so I should be nominated in the R&B category when 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 Bieber shut the fuck up first of all 
The R&B and quote unquote urban categories are usually the only place black people get any damn recognition. Second of all, you a pop star, baby. Own that shit. The audacity to think that the album, which features Yummy, a song that is predominantly you saying Yummy over and over and over again, is an R&B record. It ain't R&B. Who lied to you? Which one of your black associates told you that this was R&B? Someone on Twitter said it best and I cannot find the tweet because I want to give them all their flowers because it was so damn good. They said that yummy is just filled with ringtone sounds. How is that R&B? I cackled. Now, it is very possible for R&B singers to be white. So there's no shade. Can't no one try and say John B and Bobby Caldwell ain't R&B. You feel me? But Justin, you are not R&B. I'm sorry. And that tweet is all wrong. We are all up in the middle of a of black people, including artists trying to get equal rights in their professions. And after all this discourse about altering the categories this year, you thought that now was the time? Boy, if you don't shut up and sit down. Now, what deserves all the attention is last year when Tyler, the creator, said that no matter what type of music we make, we are always placed in the urban category even if what we are doing is pop. Last year, he won Best Rap Album for Igor. In an interview after the Grammys, he said that he was grateful for his win, but he also said, It sucks that whenever we, and I mean guys that look like me, do anything that's genre-bending or that's anything, they always put it in a rap or urban category. I don't like that urban word. It's just a politically correct way to say the N-word to me. And amen to that. Think about it. Like I said, Brittany Howard is in the R&B and rock categories. And I love to see it because she is both. But that circumstance is a rarity. Again, we are not a monolith. And the difference between Tyler's statement and Bieber's is exactly what I said in episode two. White artists slash people are allowed to align themselves with any aesthetic or genre while we are limited to one or two boxes. And straight up, to me, Tyler is a fucking rock star and deserves to span categories because his music is not a single entity. He's a true quang. If we're talking about royalty, let's also talk about Queen Haley Williams, lead singer at Paramore. She is truly one of the only exceptions. <laughs> when the nods came out, she was hyping up all the women in the rock category. She then put out this tweet, which I love. Stop sending me sorries for not getting a Grammy nom. LOL. P. Moore has been nominated lots and even won. Thank you for your sweetness, but stop. The woman leading the rock and alt noms are the story and the moment chills yes women helping women this is what every artist should be doing why is that not the easiest thing to do in the world the last artist i want to talk about in regards to the grammys is tiana taylor now on 11 24 she tweeted y'all was better off just saying best male r&b album because all i see is dick in this category i liked it because i agree with her I have never really listened to her music, but that girl can sing. I very much enjoy watching her live performances because she is a Sagittarius freak queen like me. She's beyond talented. I only heard the best things about this album, but again, I do not give money to certain people. 
not Tiana, but she was very vocal about who produced the entirety of that album. And I do not support him. And I don't get how she could agree to work with him. But contracts, PR, who knows what it was. Fine. So yeah, did she deserve to be in that category? I'm sure of it. So did Janae and Kalani. So I'm with her. But then what seemed like a stance for all women was really just about her. Here's why I say that. After her tweet hit the press, she clarified her statements and then put out a tweet shouting out her, Kalani, Victoria Monet, SZA, among other amazing female R&B artists. Fine, fair. She also retweeted a lot of her fans getting at the Academy for not nominating her. Again, okay. But then a few days later, she announced that she's retiring on Instagram with a photo of her Spotify rap stats. At first, she's showing her fans so much love and saying, Wow, who did that? Y'all did that. Thank you. She then continues, feeling super underappreciated as an artist, receiving little to no real push from the quote unquote machine, constantly getting the shorter end of the stick, being overlooked. I mean, the list goes on and on, LOL. I'm retiring this chapter of my story with the comfort that I can depart with peace of mind, seeing that all the hard work and passion put in was indeed loved and supported somewhere in the world. Now, I'm an empathetic person and trust, I can understand feeling underappreciated and undervalued within your industry. I also understand what the Grammys mean to a lot of artists. But if you believe and know the Academy to be suspect, why would you even want an award from a corrupt institution? Also, Tiana is so fortunate that she lives in a big ass house, has secured her own bag outside of her man's, gets to make music and successfully tours. Why are you gauging your success off of a piece of metal? Yes, call out the Academy for being sexist. I'm all for it. But this seems to be more so of a why didn't you nominate me again? She didn't mention the other women who also deserve nods until after the fact. And she mentions Janae, but doesn't give her props for being nominated for album of the year, which is fucking major. Or the nod for best progressive R&B album, which also includes Chloe and Haley. And the thing is, Tiana stands right for her. Like, sell out her shows, buy her music, hyper the fuck up. If the machine ain't pushing you, find, or better yet, build another one. If you know it ain't right, then you know they are wrong. What does it matter? She changed her tune, not after her fans begged her to stay. It was when Cardi, JT, and the legend herself, Janet Jackson, sent her motivating messages. So is this the recognition you were looking for? Okay, got it. And girl, you're in good company. You know who also never won a fucking Grammy? Miss Diana Ross, Busta Rhymes, Nas, Tupac, Queen, Jimi Hendrix, and the list goes on and on. Those artists all managed to have successful careers, even posthumously. A lesson for everybody. Look at what you do have and not what you don't. Last thing about the Grammys and something that is actually really fucked up. The Recording Academy had the audacity to ask Tiffany Haddish to host for free. Why do people love asking black women to do shit for free? Why is it that you think that we don't deserve monetary compensation like our male and also white counterparts do? You think they asked Trevor Noah to host for free? What about Jon Stewart? And I don't care if she's doing it from home or virtually. 
she would still be working get out of here with that shit but again what more do you expect from an organization that has clearly proven to be corrupted and discriminatory Ugh. okay moving on wasn't really sure where to insert this comment so i'm just gonna put it right here young thug shut up he said on ti's podcast which told me everything i needed to know I can't rap you two Andre 3000 songs. I ain't never paid attention to him. Never in my life. What? How you call yourself a rapper and never paid attention to three stacks? You weren't listening to nothing from Outkast either? That don't make no type of sense. He said that Andre doesn't support the new generation, which what? Let me tell you why I love Twitter so much. A user by the name of I am Nia Ray found a video of Andre 3000 at Five Dog's funeral where he spoke of Fife basically passing the torch to Outkast and Andre then spoke of how new rappers continue to change the tide, specifically mentioning, mentioning Young Thug. So what were you saying? Also, you were out here rocking dresses and rapping? You know who did that before you, right? It was Andre, but okay. Wait, what did that jacket that you wore to the BET Hip Hop Awards say? I want to be like Andre and Badu. Okay, because I thought you said something else. <laughs> right. Like, sorry, young thug. Your style is Andre and you sound exactly like Wheezy. Originality ain't really your thing. And you really ain't bringing nothing new to the table. Sorry, not sorry. Talking about not acknowledging the new generation when you ain't respecting the one that came before you. All right, now let's talk about privilege. As we all know, privilege can show itself in many ways. And the biggest lesson I have learned this year is that the elite have no fucking idea how to read a room. They are living on a completely different planet. They always have been, but now it's to a point where I don't even think they know we are in a pandemic depression revolution. On December 6th, Cardi decided to go on Twitter and ask an $88,000 question. She wanted to know if we thought she should spend $88,000 on a bag. You came to Twitter where we roast ourselves so we ain't got no issues roasting you to ask us this? Why would you set yourself up in such a way? Like, girl, most of us are on here trying to figure out how to make $88 last over the next month. And you want us to decide whether or not you should drop house money on a bag? You're bugging. Listen, it's her money and she earned it. She can do what she wants with it. But she should have posed that question in her famous rich people group chat. Twitter did what we do and bullied her into donating money. And it was incredible. She ended up tweeting, send me your donation receipts and I'll match your donations. I love to see it. Okay, now let's talk about these celebs and their privilege that allows them to travel around the globe during a pandemic in private jets. And I love how they think that makes them immune to COVID somehow. In particular, I'm talking about Ashanti's foolish ass. On December 12th, everyone had their best baby fat and rock aware fits ready to go. Incredible hulks were ready to be drunk. Why is that? Because it was the night for Ashanti versus Keisha, Keisha Cole. But it ended up being canceled last minute because Ashanti announced that she had contracted COVID. She kept saying that she was shocked and she can't believe that the devil did this to her. Bitch, if you don't stop lying. She was all over Kenya and other parts of Africa with a whole leap of people not wearing masks. How are you shocked? Also, leave Africa alone. 
Their COVID numbers as a continent are low. And I just hope she wasn't out there spreading her shit. And you know, you had this obligation with Versus. So why would you put your health at risk, the health of Keisha Cole and the rest of the Versus team? Inconsiderate. Your money does not protect you from getting Rona. Just because you're able to travel does not mean you should be traveling. Keisha hopped on live with her that night. She was dressed to the nines, by the way. And let me tell you, my girl looked pissed. The event has been rescheduled for January. As I said on the first episode, I had beef with Versus after Swizz and Tim allowed Fabulous, a known abuser, to battle. Then they teamed up with Apple Music and it became a whole ass production. The best part about Versus, even with the Wi-Fi being an issue, it made it feel so real. The artists were all at home setting the example. You're at home loving the fact that they are too. Everyone is safe and it actually feels like we are all in this together. The magic and essence of it really changed. And money will do that. It became a reminder that, oh, we have the money to kick it together with the homies and get rapid tests while y'all are sitting up in your house broke as shit. I will continue to not watch them and just read the highlights from the group chat the next day. I did hear that the E40 and Two Short Verses was fire, though. Next, we got Olivia Jade going on Red Table Talk. I told y'all this family is more concerned with video views, a.k.a. money. And again, we always use the Smiths as the example of black royalty, but I already told y'all long ago, they ain't for the culture. And that's a fact, because how could you have little Aunt Becky on your show to tell her side of the story? Like her parents bought her way into school and then she didn't even go to class or take advantage of her situation. All of that is a prime example of white privilege. Let's look at these two different situations. Lori Laughlin is sitting in prison doing yoga for two months. Two months for fraud. She actually just got out, so less than two months. Meanwhile, Tanya McDowell was sentenced to five years in prison for using her friend's address so that her son could go to school in a better district. Now, there was a drug charge tied to this case, which involved undercover officers, which were harassing her after the school charge at the shelter she was currently living in because she was houseless. Now, Felicity Huffman and Lori Laughlin were out here slipping thousands of dollars to admissions counselors to get their spoiled brats into college. Felicity only got two weeks for that. This system is fucking rigged and awful. So like, why would you have this privileged kid on your show begging for forgiveness talking about, I deserve a second chance? deserve you don't deserve shit and on top of that of all the media outlets in the world you reach out to three black women to come be your savior like people really think that is our role to save the day and that is the only time we truly get the respect we deserve it's when y'all need us to carry the weight and push through to the finish line fuck out of here with that now jada's mama is cool people's because she always keeps it real with her face and with her words. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Mama Norris said she fought to not have her on the show, but Jada over here sympathizing with a colonizer wanted her to have this opportunity. AKA she knew that people were going to watch, even if it was to hate watch. It's fucked up. Like what good has she used this platform for? Like Jordan was the last time, but it makes me feel like if Chloe would have called her up, she would have let her shit on Jordan. That's neither here nor there, though. That's a whole other thing. 
Mama Nora says, I just found it really ironic that she chose three black women to reach out to for her redemption story. I feel like here we are, a white woman coming to black women for support when we don't get the same from them. It's bothersome to me on so many levels. Her being here is the epitome of white privilege to me. And I have nothing to follow up or add to that because it's the damn truth. Continuing down our road of privilege, let's talk about how after nine months, Congress finally agreed to give us some relief. A whopping $600. Oh boy, that's totally going to help so many of us. I mean, I could pay off thousands of dollars of school loans with that. That's great. Like, are they crazy? Like, for real. And then on the 21st, Nancy Privilegiosi had the audacity to come out her face and say that this is a significant amount of money. Is she fucking kidding me? That's why that meme when they put her head on Jessica Walker's body kills me. Lucille Bluth is one of the greatest characters on TV, completely out of touch with reality. The actual line from the show is, I mean, it's one banana, Michael. How much could it cost? $10? I love it because we've all been surviving off banana bread, too. And it's mostly because the bananas are so damn cheap. The Nancy meme is, I mean, it's nine months of food, rent, and utilities, Michael. What could it cost? $600? It's just trash. Then Dumpster refusing to sign because he was fake demanding $2,000 for us, knowing damn well the Republicans weren't going to do it. And all it did was just delay the chump change and make us stress the fuck out for a few days. My unemployment ran out the day after Christmas, and I was literally riddled with anxiety trying to figure out how I'm going to make this work. And I don't have to pay rent or have children. So I know there were people out there hurting worse than me. And in the final hour of Sunday, he finally signed it. Just play with people's lives because he can. This government is a mess. Seriously, imagine if we took 1% of funds from the police around the country and, you know, not spend $10 billion on Space Force, which is a space army, you know, created for that space war we're about to get into. (sighs) Honestly, I do hope these aliens come because at this point, something's got to give. Now, if you look to your left, you will see our final stop on the privilege tour. It's old man Biden on the imaginary plantation that he thinks he's living on. No one has yet to bring up this interaction and I don't understand why. On December 12th, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris met with several leaders in the black community via video conference. The level of disrespect he showed them was disgusting. For example, when Derek Johnson from the NAACP in Mississippi expressed his concerns about the lack of representation in his appointments, and he wanted to ensure that he will have people to provide him with the necessary input. Biden had the audacity to say, let's get something straight. You shouldn't be disappointed. What I've done so far is more than anybody else has done this far. Sir, what have you done so far? You appointed several BIPOC in your administration so far, and we love to see it. But if this is any indication of how you're going to treat them when they make recommendations then it negates what you're doing, unless you're only doing it for show, which you probably are. 
He put down Sherilyn Eiffel, the president and director counsel of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. He basically belittled her, saying that he has been more involved in politics because he's older than her. He then proceeds to talk about how his organization has 1,000 lawyers, bigger than you or anybody else, of course, speaking on the LDF. Like, yes, privileged white man, you have the ability to have a larger network. Thank you for reminding us. But also, are you kidding me? Your organization is bigger and doing more work for our people than the NAACP LDF? So that means you know more than her about the struggles of black liberation. Oh, okay. But the kicker is when he said, in the middle of the debate, I called him a racist. In the middle of the debate with him, I took on white supremacists. I'm the guy that took on every single time somebody was threatened in this country. The only white boy you know who did it. Excuse me, sir? What was that? Who are you talking to like that? Ed Bermilla, I think that's how you pronounce it, B-U-R-M-I-L-A, on Twitter, put it perfectly. He said, can you imagine Joe Biden meeting with energy CEOs or Wall Street execs and saying, if it doesn't count for y'all to hell with y'all? Because I don't think he would. For some reason, he said it to this audience, though. It's truly abhorrent. Honestly, I'm sharing all this because I've been told y'all that he was not going to help us. And when there are people who were like, he's not even in office yet, cut him some slack. Um, how do you think he's going to talk to us when he is the leader of the free world? You think he's going to speak to us like human beings and not trying to translate like we only speak AAVE and are unaware of how to interpret words when proper grammar is being used? I told y'all being all gung ho about these two was not the point. They are not going to help us in this revolution. In fact, they will be an obstacle. But like I said, an easier obstacle to get over than Dumpster and the Klan. And y'all's girl Kamala sat there and didn't say shit, didn't speak up for our people or try to interject. She just sat there quietly like she was Steven and Django. I also wish that any of those leaders would have com commented on his rudeness and his condescending attitude. Like, bro, watch your tone. So as much as I love seeing black and brown people flood these appointments, I know that a lot of it, it's just to show face and try and keep us quiet. I can't be racist. Look at my cabinet. Last but not least, I want to briefly talk about Casey Goodson Jr., Ernie Serrano, and Andre Hill. Honestly, I cannot get too much into this because I'm just so broken. However, it's important for me to share their names because their lives matter. Black and brown bodies are insignificant to this country. We are murdered and repeatedly receive no justice, especially when we are murdered by the police. Like, they were all required to wear body cams, weren't they? Remember that? But more often than not, their cameras don't work or aren't even turned on. Even when we get to see the video, we are then haunted by it. And when the guilt is fully displayed, there's still no justice. A cop gets fired, maybe, and then gets to find another job at another precinct where they can continue to be trash-ass people. Casey Goodson Jr.'s story is just as horrendous as all the other stories of Black men being murdered by the police. What makes it so terrifying is that he was literally coming home from the dentist, had his Subway sandwiches in his hand, when the police shot him in the back three times. 
Casey was only 23 years old and had no criminal background. And even if he did have a criminal background, he did not deserve to die. He was just a kid. This happened on December 4th in Columbus, Ohio. The officer who shot him said that they exchanged words and then Goodson pointed a gun at him, so he shot him. But how you shoot him in the back if the gun was pointed at you? And just to give all the facts, he had a license to carry a concealed weapon. But where was this weapon when he died? If he died with his keys and sandwiches in both hands, how is he holding a gun? Also, there were no other officers who witnessed the shooting, no civilian witnesses, and Franklin County officers were never issued body cameras. Nothing about this story makes any damn sense. The coroner's office has officially ruled this a homicide. That officer needs to lose everything. He is a liar and a murderer. Then, on what I believe is Saturday the 19th, Riverside officers beat Ernie Serrano to death. He is of Latin descent and was only 33 years old, younger than me. Officers responded to an assault with a deadly weapon call. Allegedly, Ernie was involved in an altercation with a security guard. Now, the officer report said that he tried to grab the security guard's gun and he began fighting with the deputies. They also put in the statement that a use of force occurred. Bruh, thank God someone recorded this incident. May the universe protect and love them forever because without this video, Ernie just would have been another brown body they murdered. Someone on Instagram did not put up a trigger warning. And I was confused as to what I was watching at first because you just see Ernie standing there and an officer in front of him. Then he's taken to the ground. I was so confused until I go back to the beginning and realize that this officer was just beating his arm with a baton. Then once Ernie couldn't take it, and it honestly looked like his arm broke in that moment, he moved his arm in pain and they wrestled him to the ground and continued to beat him. It was awful. And what's crazy too, and why I don't believe their version of this story, is because if he grabbed a gun, they definitely would have just shot him. Nothing about this story makes sense. I began writing this episode before Christmas, and unfortunately, there's another murder to report. On December 22nd, Andre Hill was shot and killed by the Columbus, Ohio Police Department. Two black people were murdered by the police in Columbus, Ohio within weeks of each other. What the fuck is going on? Andre was killed in his driveway with his phone in his hand because the cops were informed about a suspicious vehicle on the block. All Andre did was get out of his car and walk behind it. Cop pulls up and there it is. This officer had his body camera on, but the only footage available was after the shooting. The rest of the footage was conveniently deleted. Andre did not get to celebrate the holidays with his family. He almost survived 2020, and now he won't get to see the other side of it. This year has been debilitating. And it's infuriating that people don't understand why we say Black Lives Matter and defund the police. Obama out here talking about we need to choose a better slogan, basically meaning one that doesn't make racist white people uncomfortable. Bruh, it's not a slogan. It's a demand. In fact, it is a compromise from abolish the police. This isn't a marketing campaign. 
These are real people being brutally and unjustly murdered by the same people who live by, serve, and protect. That's why I say the elite are so far removed from this. Yes, Bama is a part of the elite. I'm sorry to tell y'all if you didn't know. And let us not forget all the murders that went down under his watch. Like, please, please, sir, just retire and be with your family. You're not helping us here, boo-boo. He lost me years ago when he didn't back Bernie because I truly believed that they believed in the same thing, but that wasn't the case. Bernie is who I thought Obama was. Anyway, all this is to say, to hell with these racist-ass cops that get away with murder. Defund the motherfucking police. And to my BIPOC people, please protect your energy, your spirit, and your body. We are so underappreciated, undervalued, and unprotected in this country. We could literally just be going about our business and be killed. Legit, just the other day, a black man in Florida was arrested in the food court in front of his whole family because he fit a description. That age-old shit. This country continues to prove that it is fueled by white supremacy. I don't know about y'all, but I can't live like this anymore. All I ask is that y'all promise to not just sit down and expect Biden to do shit. Please, y'all, don't get complacent and not speak up. And to all the white homies that put up a square and called it a day, in the words of Natasha Rothwell, my favorite insecure actress, after Issa, of course, remember that black square you posted on Instagram? They still killing us. So what's next? Do some shit or take that square down because it's fucking embarrassing. Y'all vowed to be allies and then didn't do shit. That is why we keep saying we need accomplices, not allies. You have to get in the trenches with us. We're tired. Speak up. Use your privilege. We could get so much more shit done if y'all wasn't just posting selfies of yourself with the caption, Black Lives Matter. I want to see my people liberated in 2021. I want to see us thriving. I want to see us living and surviving. I understand and am aware that it is up to us as black people to do this. I'm not waiting on some white saviors to come give us the liberation we seek. That isn't the point I'm trying to make here. But my hippie ass believed as Fred Hampton believed. We can do more together than apart. Okay, let's talk about the last Uncharted artist for 2020. First up, we have Moses Sumney. Issa Rae blessed us with season four of Insecure early, so we had some solace from April until June. It was such a beautiful life. It feels like that was 57 years ago. Oh my God. But like with every season, the best part of Insecure, aside from the incredible story and talented actors, was the music. The scene where Issa finds out about canola oil situation and has this heart-crushing moment, you hear Keeps Me Alive by Moses Sumney in the background. I believe it's actually the last scene of the season finale. It is such a perfect backdrop for this montage. The reason I love this song so damn much is because it really spoke to me this year. In a time where it's hard to see the goodness and honestly the point of living, these lyrics resonate. He sings... I will not do it because it's a falsetto and I will destroy your ears. But he says, childlike curiosity about my fate is the only thing that makes me stay. It keeps me alive. 
That is a whole vibe for me this year. Every day I have to actively find the will to get up and live by any means necessary. And truly, the only thing that keeps me alive is being able to see the other side of this hurt after all is said and done. Moses himself is a true artist. He is beautiful. And although most would describe him as eccentric or unique, I find him to be subtle. I love that about him. He is sort of a new wave neo-soul singer. I believe it's classified as alt R&B now. He's also a first generation kid like myself. Both of his parents hail from Ghana. And after living in LA trying to do what many artists do, he realized, as he said in his May 2020 interview with NPR, it was distracting from my art. He said he would escape to Big Bear or Topanga just to write, or he'd venture home to North Carolina. So he said, well, why not just live in a place that gives me constant inspiration instead of retreating and running away to go find it every time? He ended up moving back home, and I love that for him. You can listen to Keeps Me Alive on his 2020 sophomore album, Grey. Yes, the album with the Grammy nods. Okay, okay. And another fave that got me into his 2017 debut album, A Romanticism, is Lonely World, which I discovered while blasting through Lovecraft Country this month. Straight up, my dream job is to be a music curator for an HBO series. Putting that out there. Learn more about Moses and his music by visiting mosessumney.com. And that's M-O-S as in Sam, E-S as in Sam, S as in Sam again, U. M as in Mary and as in Nancy, EY.com. Be sure to follow him at Moses Sumney on Facebook and Twitter and at Moses on Instagram. Like, how'd he get that? That's dope. Next up, we got an indie rock band, Inner Love, from right here on Long Island. Let me just say, I love that the music heads I know love all different types of music, and constantly support local bands. I have found such great music from my homies just posting about it thus proving that although word of mouth has become primarily digital, it is still the most effective form of marketing there is. My buddy Dan, who I've known since he was working the door at Leaky Lifeboat, shout out to one of my favorite old stomping grounds. He's now been working at Amityville Music Hall for some time. But as we all know, the live music industry has been suffering. And unfortunately, but of course, with no help from the government. Dan has been such a voice for the live music industry. He is constantly posting, provided me with information I didn't have. He is how I learned about the Save the Stages Act, which has been incorporated into this new bill. Thank God. And throughout all of this, him and some of his local music homies got together to release a compilation for Black Lives Matter and match the donations five to one for a variety of organizations. You can find that album at if you mo.bandcamp.com and mo is just mo okay back to inner love dan posted about them a few weeks ago i listened to their track set in your ways and instantly got transported back to 2011 really seriously a good year when indie was king and we were blessed with some of the best music of our time i'm talking phoenix arcade fire matt and kim peter bjorn and john vibes the best of times The song is perfect for the days we live in. You're set in your ways. You think it's okay. You live a life of hate and that ain't the way. Amen. 
Ryan O'Rourke, lead singer and guitarist, reminds me so much of Nathan Nicholson from Boxer Rebellion. Their voices are truly unique and meant to bring indie music to the masses. And although the first song I heard from them, which is also their most recent, their actual very first track is called Enough, which was released in November 2019. And their debut EP, Fine By Me, was released in March 2020. I love Relax off that EP. You have to check it out. It gives me a brief feel of Grizzly Bear meets Postal Service. Inner Love definitely gets me in my feels, but in a hopeful and optimistic way. We could all use a little bit of that right now. Check out their music at innerlove.bandcamp.com. Follow them on Facebook at innerloveli and on Twitter and Instagram at underscore innerlove. Last and most certainly not least, Somerset Thrower, The Homies. I describe them as a post-hardcore alt-rock punk band out of Long Island who, in the fourth quarter of 2020, released one of the best albums of the year. And I don't mean to brag, but I like know the band. (laughs) I've known Connor, the bassist, since we were teenagers. Yet another wonderful human I've met through Leanne. Actually, the whole band I know because of hanging and going to shows with her. Okay, so remember how I told y'all about Jesse from another one of my favorite bands, Adult Magic, and I said he was Leanne's boo? Well, they're making it official, y'all, and getting married, and I'm so excited. Lee and I have been homies for 22 years, and this is a blessing to witness. Congrats, y'all. Love you so much. Okay, sorry, got sidetracked. So Connor, he's one of the kindest and sweetest people I've ever possibly known. He is incredibly talented and always a good time. I cannot wait to wild the fuck out with him again. First day, it's officially safe to come outside. We're doing karaoke. Okay. John, the guitarist, I met through his beautiful and amazing wife, Jess. Those two are just such a delight to be around. Genuinely good people. Frank on lead vocals and guitar and Tim on drums. I have met from hanging and vibing over the years. The four of them together is like some Captain Planet shit because they really come together to create music that has been saving us all in the home stretch of 2020. So their first single off their new LP, Paint My Memory, is called Too Rich to Die. The release of this song popped up in my feed. Tone, one of the greatest drummers to ever exist, posted it. And it was him on the cover on a car and in this video. I'm like, is Tone going solo? What's happening here? I soon realized that this was not the case. But let me take a minute to shout Tone the fuck out. For the last 10 years, Tone has been a drummer for Sheer Terror, which is a legendary hardcore punk band from the 80s and 90s. When they reunited most recently in 2010, Tone became their drummer. This is one of the dopest fucking accomplishments ever, and I'm so damn proud of him. Anyway, so when I realized that this was Somerset Thrower, I was excited all over again. Too Rich to Die is how you fucking debut a single. From this track, you know immediately that this band is about to give it to you. The music and vocals are so powerful without outdoing one another. You want it all. And as much as Somerset is the epitome of punk as we know it now, there is such a heavy alt-rock feel. Something we haven't had in years. I could not wait until this album was released. It dropped 13 days before my birthday, so I was truly living. I cannot say this enough. The whole album is fucking perfect. Perfect. 
It will go down as a play straight through no skips album for me always. I purchased a limited edition red vinyl because duh, but I had to buy the digital copy too because I needed to listen to it immediately. Side note, best part of the vinyl sleeve, aside from it being a sick ass poster, is seeing on the inside Black Lives Matter, ACAB and Fuck 45. I fucking love these guys. So this album flows, all of it. I could legit spend this entire episode breaking down each song, but I do not have the time for that. So some of my faves, aside from Too Rich to Die, are Take You Apart, Lucky You, and In Your Eyes, which my old co-worker from the Roxy, Alana, said gave her silver chair vibes, and I absolutely agree. Now, you want to talk about some of the best songs ever created? Plaster Saint is it for me. It's this hardcore punk song, heavy ass vocals. This track features Tom Sheehan of epic New York hardcore bands such as Indecision and Most Precious Blood. FYI, I'm not that cool. Connor has given me a cheat sheet. Thank you. But for real, on this track, you feel that shit and all you want to do is rock the fuck out. I love when songs like this are melodic. This track actually reminds me of another Long Island fave, Glassjaw. Fun fact, a plaster saint is someone who makes a show of being without moral faults or human weakness, but in a hypocritical type way. Organized religion is where my mind immediately goes. But based off of that and my interpretation of the lyrics, this song was all about rage and fuck the fake ones. Phony society, phony politicians, and phony friends. They all gotta go. Connor, I appreciate your help so much, especially because this request was so last minute, but he was kind enough to chat with Frank on my behalf. So straight from the lead singer's mouth, here's what the tune is actually about. Plaster Saint was a response to police brutality, racism, and conservative values. This was written before George Floyd's murder, but inspired by all innocent people who died unjustly at the hands of a cop. Some people view police officers as undebatable godsends that can do no wrong, the same way religious folks view priests. That was always crazy to me. They're just people who should be held accountable for their actions, good or bad. They're plaster saints. The bit, so the particles to the color white, bleach the others, claim to see the light, is about old racists and religious bigots trying to whitewash American culture to fit their fucked up image. The youth, or the ones listening, are the quote-unquote shepherd left behind and hold the power to change the future for the betterment of all people. The ones who won't eat the sugar-coated bullshit that they tried to feed you. We can't be saved until we break away. All I can say is power to the people. This is why I fucking love the punk community. They sing about the real shit and be about the real shit. Now, say hello. When I tell you I play that over and over and over every day, it is just so real. Trust, I'll break down this song for you in top five and explain why it will go down in history as one of my favorite songs of all time. To listen to their latest album, Paint My Memory, please visit their website at summersetthrower.com and that's S-O-M-E-R-S-E-T-T-H-R-O-W-E-R.com. Follow them on all platforms at Somerset Thrower. To learn more about these artists and check out their music, please visit lanmaster.com slash uncharted. Okay, y'all, let's talk about some black-owned wineries and one black-owned tequila company. 
In June, the McBride Sisters, arguably the most famous Black-owned winery, curated a list of Black-owned wines around the country. I took this list and placed the names in a spreadsheet I'd hoped to have filled out by now, but mm, it's almost January and it's still not done. However, I do have information listed for 37 out of the 67 wineries, so that's not so bad. But my New Year's resolution is to get this done ASAP. If you visit launmastered.com slash BLM and click hashtag support black owned, it'll take you to a workbook. On the bottom, you will find a spreadsheet entitled black owned vineyards. Here are three of the companies I wanted to specifically mention. Lions Wine is owned by Chris Lyons. He was a music engineer for most of his career. However, he always wanted to get into wine production, especially because he noticed a lack of black representation in the wine industry. But he didn't want to just focus on the obvious varietals. Mr. Lyons stated, I looked at Italian wine because everyone knows French wine as the gold standard, but no one knows that Italian wine is just as special. And with that, the Lions Wine Lambrusco was born. This has been my favorite type of wine for the past two years. I learned about it while working at that bougie farm-to-table restaurant I worked at with Zach. It's a sparkling red served chill. Who knew? This one in particular is fruit forward with a mild dryness. There is a hint of sweetness that doesn't overwhelm the palate. You can purchase the Lions Lambrusco online at lions.wine. And they even have a wine club. Lafette was developed by Danae Burstyn, who created the rosé with Domaine Bertot Bellou. Uh, my Haitian family, my French family, please don't come for me because it's not my strong suit. But that is the oldest winery in Saint-Tropez. Mr. Burstyn didn't just want to make the same old rosé. This rosé isn't acidic or bitter. Instead, it's light and fruit forward. He even lowered the alcohol content a bit just to make it a little bit smoother. The best part about this company is that $2 from every bottle will be donated to Color of Change. This is a norm for Lafette, which usually donates a portion of the proceeds to various organizations for underserved and underrepresented youth. Find Lafette in stores, but you can also buy it online at lafetterose.com. And that's L-A-F as in Frank, E-T-E-R-O-S as in Sam, E.com. Okay, and teal tequila is clearly not a wine, but I'm a huge tequila drinker, so deal. This is the only tequila brand in the world to be owned and operated by a black woman. Like, how dope is that? Tequila is definitely not a space I've ever seen us, so I love that she opened this store. Although Nyana Ferguson, a breast cancer and pancreatic cancer survivor, wow, had a business background, she has never worked in the spirit industry prior to this. But she loved how natural the tequila was due to the agave, which also made it naturally gluten-free, low in carbs, calories, and sugar. I love that she developed this idea, went to her husband like you in, and set up a successful tequila business. Mrs. Ferguson wanted her tequila to be authentic and have 100% blue Weber agave, which is a legit succulent for tequila. Like you have that blue Weber that I learned that while living in Arizona. It's a whole other level. In order to do this, she partnered with a distillery in Mexico. And Teal has a Blanco, a Reposado, which has been aged in Tennessee whiskey barrels, so I'm in. And they created the world's only coconut lime Blanco. She is such an inspiration to me, not just because of the tequila, but because I love seeing black women open doors that enter rooms we were told we do not belong. Find this tequila in stores or by visiting their website at 
teakspirits.com. That's T as in Tom, E-E-Q, spirits.com. To learn more about these brands, please visit lanmaster.com slash BLM and click on hashtag support black owned to see a full list of black owned wineries and one tequila company. On the very first day of 2020, I should have known that this year was going to be interesting, to say the least. Understand, at the end of 2019, I was living my best life. As a server, you make so much bread during the holidays. It's prime time. You bust your ass, but when you have a G before your work week is even over, you don't mind. Also during this time last year, Tinder got me a boo and I was living it up. I was playing house in a mansion and life was grand. I worked New Year's Eve, then went over to Boo's house, rang in the new year, dancing to girl talk and drinking bourbon. It was perfect. But on January 1st, when this man invited the Uber driver into the house to kick it, I knew that this was going to turn real quick. Sure enough, it did. The next two months were straight out of a movie, not a romantic drama, but more like a mystery thriller. Not to mention that after we had a romantic evening together at a bougie hotel and things seemed to be looking up, I walked into my house the next morning, still floating on a cloud, to see my mom watching Governor Cuomo on TV talking about the restaurant closures. That was how I found out I was out of a job. It was a whole ass mess. Anyway, back to old boy. A month into quarantine, I ended it. Let me clarify something here. He wasn't dangerous or anything like that. But his behavior was erratic and unpredictable. That is not a combination I would like in a partner. This breakup wasn't devastating, but I realized it wasn't like any other ending before. In the past, whenever a relationship or situationship ended, I'd go out. I'd while out, get drunk, meet new people, and get over it. I never really took the time to actually heal and deal. Without being able to find a little ting for a distraction, I had to focus inward. This was very new for me when it came to men. Actually acknowledging that I got hurt seemed impossible, but that's exactly what I did. I soon realized that I got into that relationship so quickly and proceeded to accept and look past all the red flags because I wanted that feeling of being in love again. He was offering it up and I took it. But you can't force or rush that shit. I think a part of me just wanted to settle. In your 30s, the game changes. I don't feel like there's any pressure for me to get married or have kids, but I want to meet the person I will spend the rest of my life with because I don't want us to miss any more moments without each other. It's as simple as that. I have a tendency to jump headfirst because I'm a hopeless romantic. What always ends up happening is I bet it all and then I get bored and just like the wind, I'm gone. Yeah, I'm definitely a Sagittarius. I love my independence and commitment terrifies my soul. It's not because I don't want to spend my life with one person. I actually very much want that. My fear stems from the thought, what happens if I choose to spend the rest of my life with the wrong person? In the last two years of being single, excluding those four months in the beginning of the year, I constantly repeated that I wanted someone who deserves me and earns me. This year, I was able to figure out what that actually means. It sounds good, great goals to have, but what does that actually look like? 
I finally prioritized my needs and desires. I asked myself what I really wanted out of a relationship and out of life. I discovered that I don't want to be with anyone right now. I want to focus on my personal and professional purpose. I do not want to walk through life beside someone and feel like I have no idea where I'm going. This pandemic, unfortunately, stopped us from socializing. But the benefit is that I now have so much time to truly learn who I am. I was able to be selfish. No matter if it's a friendship, relationship, or job, I go all in, 110%. But with my entire life on pause, I was able to stand still and see things as they are. I always put everyone else's needs and thoughts before my own. It's just what I do. I'm an extremely empathetic person, so if someone I love is hurting, I feel that pain. Because of this, I have this tendency to belittle my own experiences. Well, I'm going through X, Y, Z, but this person is going through A, B, C, D, and E, so I need to be more considerate. And you know what? That's not okay. This year, I was extremely selfish, which is very hard for me to do. As an only child, I hate that stigma that we need attention, are self-absorbed, and spoiled. I mean, I was definitely spoiled as a kid, (laughs) but I was always a giver and loved to share. For the longest time, I thought that was a small and insignificant thought I had in the back of my mind. But when I started therapy and began randomly talking about how I never wanted to be seen as selfish, I noticed that in all this time, I wasn't even thinking about myself and considering my own feelings. Most times I would get into a situation and think about everyone else and never think about how it affects my peace. This year, that all changed. My therapist is truly amazing. She said, there's a difference between being selfish and self-centered. People have a tendency to confuse the two. You are allowed to be selfish and protect yourself from what does not serve you. Even before I began therapy in June, I started retreating inward. A lot of that was due to my war with depression. Being unemployed since March has taken its toll. However, the risk of getting my mother sick isn't worth it at all. I'm very fortunate to be in a situation where I do not have to pay rent and can live at home, so it works for me. But for anyone that really knows me, I love to work. It feels so good making money. As someone who suffers from depression, it gave me a purpose. It forced me to socialize with people, even on my worst days. So after the first month, when you can really enjoy not being on your feet for 40 hours a week, reality starts to set in. When you lose your supposed purpose, what do you have left? And that has been my task all 2020. For me, this year has been about appreciating the beauty of simply being alive. It's something that I think we all took for granted. I thought I was living. I traveled, went to festivals, concerts, partied, went on adventures. But I was never really taking in the moment. It was just one fun thing to the next. Whoever thought we would have to live a life without that? I had to become comfortable in my own company. Sounds easy, but look how many people have not been able to do that. Being alone with yourself is something that is usually reserved for after work, before the bar, and on the days when you binge watch your favorite show. When you are unemployed, 
not in your own space, can't kick it with the homies, no one to boo love up on. You have to find creative ways to make every day seem worth it. This podcast has given me the opportunity to do just that. This is my time to express and laugh at myself. I'm proud of myself, which is not something I've ever really said. I used to focus so much on what I didn't have and what I wanted that I never really sat with all that I do have. 2020 gave me that. With the help of therapy, I was finally able to win every battle with depression. I used to be lost for weeks. Now it takes me a few days, sometimes only a few hours. I learned that it was okay to be upset, that my sadness was coming from trying to avoid and bury emotions. Being vulnerable is my phobia. It exposes you, but that's okay because vulnerability is truth. This year gave me the strength and the tools for the next chapter of my life. For a good portion of these last two months, I kept feeling like I was slipping away. I didn't know who I was, if I was coming or going. But it wasn't that at all. I was shedding. I was becoming the woman that I was always meant to be. I will never be the same person ever again. That used to make me sad. Now, I'm so grateful for that because this Lauren Allen, who I am at this moment, is my favorite version thus far. I'm sharing all of this because even if just one of you listening feels like you have nothing, I need you to remember that you have you. You are here. Life is precious and as corny as it is, life is a gift. We learned that lesson this year for sure. I felt like I've mentioned this before, but one of my favorite quotes of all time is from this movie, Stay. Naomi Watts says, there's too much beauty to quit. And for years, whenever I was in the darkest of holes, I would remember that. That moments of joy are still possible. We've gotten a lot less of it, but we can have it again. And all those memories I've made over the years have kept me warm at night. The new memories I've been making with people have made it worth it. I've reconnected with so many friends this year, some super random and some we just rekindled our groove. I'm grateful for all of you. During this time, we have learned the value of friendship. As we all rode this out together, a lot of us turned inward, but we all knew who was there for us when we needed a friend. I've spent hours on the phone with some homies since the beginning of the pandemic. I haven't really done that since I was a teeny bopper and all there was to do was talk on the phone. I mean, damn, you couldn't be texting. It was like $2.99 each. And as much shit as I talk about living in my mama's guest room, I've had the opportunity to be with her in a way I never have. It's different now that I'm all the way an adult. We vibe and kiki like friends. She's allowed me to have my space, especially when I felt low. My mom has always been my best friend. She still hates on me and gives me unsolicited advice because that's what mamas do. But she's also listened to me and been there for me in a new way. I feel like some of you may be surprised that I was sticking to my guns about staying inside and not leaving my house because I live for being out and about. But aside from my love of self, my mother is everything to me. No event, no person, no location was ever going to be more important than her life. I stayed away from most people because I knew a lot of people weren't living like me. Hashtag recluse life. 
But like I said, I was always nonstop. So to slow it down and just be at home was kind of nice. With all that said, I cannot wait to get out of my mama's house, okay? <laughs> As I look to 2021, I'm thinking of all the things that I want out of life. Last year, we were also focused on all the awesome times we were going to have and how it was going to be our year. This coming year, I say we do things a little differently. Instead, let's focus on ourselves. Let's manifest good health and happiness, the simple necessities for life. For me personally, I will get my next position and thrive. I will live in a dope ass apartment alone, no roommates. I will continue to grow and get to know myself. I will only engage in activities and situations that bring me peace. And I'm putting out good energy that we will all get this pandemic under control. The pandemic itself opened my eyes to a lot. We are truly not the greatest country in the world. It's funny, whenever patriots hear that, they're like, why don't you go live with a Taliban and see how you like it? And it's funny because it's like, okay, cool, living in America is better than living with a terrorist faction for sure, but it still doesn't make us number one. Right now, the only thing we're number one in is COVID. And if Thanksgiving was any indication of how Christmas is going to play out, our numbers are about to skyrocket again. In the last three days, and this is as of December 21st, over a million people a day have passed through airports around the country. And Christmas week had just started. And I keep seeing posts that are like, you never know how long we have, so we should be with our families. Yo, we could step outside our door and get hit by a car and be gone. If you're black, you could be in bed asleep and murdered by the cops. So yeah, unfortunately, life is unpredictable. But would you knowingly put anyone you love in any of those situations? No, because you wouldn't want to risk their lives. In the case of the pandemic, we know that if we travel to see our families, especially those that are more at risk, we are much more likely to expose them to this virus, which could very well kill them. Like, y'all think I don't get it? I haven't seen my dad in a year. We've missed two Thanksgivings, my 35th birthday, and now two Christmases. I'd give anything to see him. Anything. I miss him more than words could possibly express. I'm an only child. My family consists of three people. And not seeing my dad is breaking me. But it's not killing me. You know what would? If I got him sick from traveling to Atlanta. I will see him again when it's safe and hug him for an entire day. Until then, he and I can rest knowing that we are both safe. And when I talk about being selfish and allowing yourself to care for yourself, I don't mean doing things that you want to do to get an instantaneous feeling of gratification. Right now, with the numbers the way they are, hospitals still running out of beds all over the country, what you're doing is not selfish. It's self-absorbed and self-centered. What you do doesn't just affect you. It affects others. Cuomo didn't take away your fun times. You did. Not only did you take yours away, you delayed all of ours even more. Now, New Zealand and Australia are living their best lives. Sydney's numbers have jumped up because they reopened their state's borders for travel. But you know what they did when the numbers began to rise? They shut travel back down like a smart country would do. Let's also mention Canada and England. Although their numbers are still high, they got free health care. 
So no one has to worry about being in debt after being treated for COVID, whether they survive or not. Like I said, it's all about adjusting your interpretation of best. Because in this case, we are truly the worst. We have government officials telling us to wear our mask and stay inside while they are having lavish dinners and have hosting political events. And I'm not talking about these Republican fools because they live on another planet where they keep getting infected by a virus that doesn't exist. I'm talking about these Democrats. The way this whole pandemic was handled was trash. It's like they all cared more about being the richest country instead of caring for their people. They were able to pass a $740 billion defense bill, but could barely get the people $600. That shit is insidious. You got people out here risking their lives to make money because if they don't, they'll be thrown out of their homes. What boggles my mind is that opening and closing businesses every five minutes over these last nine months probably costs more than if you would have just shut everything down from March to June and paid everybody and canceled rent and loans. Watching the restaurant industry suffer has been heartbreaking. I still have so many friends who are working right now because they have no other way to survive. I've heard stories about maskless freaks causing scenes, treating staff like shit, and not tipping. Do y'all non-restaurant people have any idea what they're going through? You know how many times I've heard of restaurants having to close because someone got sick? And this is the situation they were put in. It is awful. None of them should be working. My homies are being asked to risk their lives or go broke and become houseless. What type of choice is that? How many of your favorite restaurants have closed? It's just so sad to see. I do want to mention that video of that dude from Barstool that everyone kept posting. He was sitting there talking about, we have a right to work. You can't tell us we can't work. And it's like, buddy, ain't nobody telling you you can't work just because. They're shutting shit down because people are dying. Like, how about you redirect your anger to the government for not providing enough money for people to survive? I'm sure a lot of restaurateurs would have no problem closing if they were given enough money to carry them until the end of the pandemic. Oh, who wants a handout? Well, we've bailed out airlines and banks repeatedly over the years. The restaurant and live music industry have saved lives, mine included. We owe it to them to survive. It is so sad that so many places have to crowdsource and all of our broke asses are chipping in. So America girl, why can't you? However, it was announced the other night that a $15 billion relief package was approved for the indie movie theaters and music venues. It does include the Save Our Stages Act, which will allow venues to pay off accrued costs from the pandemic, overhead, mortgages, admin costs, and they'll be able to throw their employees some money. Unfortunately, it won't be enough to save all of our stages, but I'm very grateful that it'll be able to save a good chunk of them. And to the people whose issue in all of this is your right to work and not the pandemic, I can't help you. I'd give anything to be working right now. And yes, it is my right to do so. But I'm not mad at the government for shutting shit down. I'm mad at the government for not shutting shit all the way down and paying the people affected. Oh, and by the way, that barstool guy is a known racist. So it was funny to see people with their black squares posting this shit. Oh, a racist made a point you agreed with. Glad you're in good company. All I know is that I hope we work it out. We know we cannot trust the government to do the right thing. However, we also know that we can't trust individuals either 
people think wearing a mask is oppression. It's so funny to me. Like what? I wish that was the only thing oppressing me in this life. People don't want to stay inside. And as much as I can be empathetic to those who are suffering with depression, especially during this time of year, I'm now at a point where it's like, it's been nine months. Y'all couldn't not go to the bar, restaurants, and not be in large groups. I've heard some people say that they're going to support these restaurants. Um, You know what you could do? Order in and tip the servers the same way you would have done if you were inside. You can buy gift cards. You can donate money. It's not about supporting these businesses for you. It's about your inability to not socialize. Again, I get it, but this is the truth. How many of these people hitting these locations are getting tested on the reg? I get tested constantly and the most exciting thing I do is go pick up my pre-ordered coffee and hit the CVS when necessary. Again, I'm an extreme case of locking down and I hate to sound like a judgmental bitch, but I'm judging. Because of y'all, we are still in this mess. Unfortunately, we will never have a nationwide lockdown, so we will be in here for God knows how long. However, the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines have been approved by the FDA for immediate distribution. I have many thoughts about this vaccine. However, the only thing I'm going to share is how dumb their PR and marketing people are. I know that during this rollout, no black people were included in these decisions. Because if they were, they would know that showing black people being injected with a new drug is triggering as fuck. One, the general history of black people in this country is fucking devious. Two, the U.S.'s history of treating black people like fucking lab rats is long. Let's see. It was believed that black people, especially black women, did not feel pain in the way their white counterparts did. Our pain threshold was believed to be so much higher. So physicians like J. Marion Sims, who was deemed the father of gynecology, would rip out the uteruses of enslaved women without anesthesia. Imagine the experiments we don't know about. The Tuskegee experiment was all about learning the effects of untreated syphilis in the Negro male. They led their 600 subjects, more than half infected and the others were not, to believe they were being treated for bad blood. Meanwhile, they were just seeing how this disease deteriorated the body. In exchange for studying their slow and preventable death, the subjects were given free meals, medical exams, and the kicker, burial insurance. They were lured into this without informed consent. And even when penicillin became available, these participants did not receive treatment. Within the black community, it was always believed that they were injecting these people with syphilis. If you ask almost any black person, this is what they will recite to you. You know why? We're educated. We know what the CDC and the history books have written. Regardless how we see it, if you are willing to let a disease destroy our bodies, what would stop you from infecting us with this disease? They had to lie to the people who became subjects just to get them to agree to participate because they knew it was wrong. If you're already down the slippery slope, why not keep sliding? These physicians thought they had a profound study on their hands. Do whatever it takes, all in the name of science, of course. Remember, the people a part of the study told them that they were being treated for bad blood, which implies administering medication. Could have been a placebo could have not been. A user on Twitter was like, we need to stop with this rhetoric. It's not the facts. I'm like, okay, 
true, but why would we believe anything else but the worst? And why would we believe the people who were letting us die? Okay, let me put away the whiteboard and take off the tinfoil hat. All of this in and of itself is a symptom of the mistrust created by this country. We have been treated like less than dogs. We have been lab rats since the days when our bodies were considered property and even after. In 1951, Henrietta Lacks went to John Hopkins for vaginal bleeding. It was soon discovered that she had cervical cancer and she underwent radium treatment. Without her knowledge or consent, her cancer cells were taken and studied and sent off to another lab. The HALA cells, named after her, were incredible. They didn't die. They kept doubling. Till this day, her cells are being studied. They were never returned to her family. Permission was never granted. And they weren't, at the very least, compensated. Because our bodies have always been seen as exploitable. In addition, we are more likely to die at the hands of medical professionals because we are not listened to or believed. Black children are more likely to die after surgery than white children. Black women have a much higher maternal mortality rate than our white counterparts. Just recently, Dr. Susan Moore, a black female doctor from Indiana, explained that she had been experiencing racism while being treated for COVID. She said that she was treated like an addict when asking for pain meds. Dr. Moore ended up dying. This is how they do us. So black people being used as a vaccine PR prop to make other black people feel comfortable is doing the complete opposite for a lot of us. The government is trash. Big Pharma is trash. From a business standpoint, I'm hesitant about anything new dropping, especially something that was born in competition with heavy importance on the financial and recognition opportunities. It's the same reason I never get the iPhone as soon as it drops. Let me see how that shit works first, and then I'm going to get it. Also, my professional advice, the CEO of Pfizer not taking the vaccine is a terrible PR move. That does not increase public confidence, especially in the black community. I get it. Albert Burla said that he doesn't want to cut the line because he's only 59, in good health, and not working on the front lines. But in our culture, we don't trust nobody that don't eat their own food. Please stop placing all black people in the anti-vaxxer category. There's a lot of damage and trauma here. A lot of us just don't want to be the first ones. Can you blame us? The way this country has treated us? All I will say is that I'll eventually take the vaccine because my mom will have to take it as an educator. And my dad is ready to take it, been ready. And there is no way in hell I'm letting them take something without me taking it too. But I am in no hurry to get to the front of the line. If that means I have to stay inside a little bit longer, then that's what I'm going to do. It does put me at ease to see medical professionals who I know personally begin to get the vaccine. One, I'm able to see firsthand how it's working. And number two, I can reach out and ask questions. With that, as black people, we have really gone through so much trauma this year. Yes, COVID is killing us at a higher rate, but so is the government and their police force. Every month this year, we have watched the cops kill people, a majority being black and brown people. A video of the traumatic event is released and that trauma then sits with us. Because at the end of the day, any of those people could have been us. I could have been Brianna, murdered while asleep in my bed because the police were dumb and didn't do their due diligence. On top of that, 
Black men were being found hung in trees all over the country, including right here in Huntington. And it's hard to believe that in the span of a few weeks, eight black men decided to lynch themselves in a tree during a revolution. After George Floyd died, something changed in us forever. We snapped. We had enough. We not only focused on the racist-ass police and government officials, but on our employers as well. We were done with the years of mistreatment we have endured in silence because if we spoke up, we were seen as aggressive and hostile. We went in on companies that posted a little black square, but their Instagram feed and staff were anything but diversified. These same companies talking about they'll do better, but still have not hired any BIPOC. And fun fact, black women are the most educated demographic in this country and the least employed. So it's not like the talent isn't there. This year allowed me to go in on the restaurant industry's racist practices, something I've always wanted to do, and it gave me such fucking joy. And in the article I wrote for Eater Magazine, plug, you can read it at lanmaster.com slash BLM, I understood the situation that they were in during the pandemic. To quote myself, which is super weird to do, but I said, I'm empathetic to the fact that you recently took a hit from COVID-19. But racism is also a deadly virus. You cannot plead for pandemic support by posting, we're all in this together, but choose to remain silent now. Restaurants in NYC and Long Island were embarrassing. Nothing about Black Lives Matter because Black patrons do not matter to them. That's why going down to Richmond, I realized Long Island wasn't a place I wanted to be anymore. I said it in my fourth episode. Every business had Black Lives Matter on the outside of it, on the marquees, spray painted, posters, paintings. And what's wild? These weren't just Black owned businesses. Everybody was down with the get down. Every business wanted Black people to know that they were safe and welcomed in their establishment. Speaking of, I'm so grateful for my time in Richmond. It seems like five years ago now, but it was the one truly fun thing I did for myself. I was safe, not in large groups, and I got to spend time with two of my favorite homies. I learned more about the history of the South and the spirit of the people. It's funny the perception us Yanks have of down South, when in fact, a lot of these cities are mostly populated with Black people. But all we hear about are the racists and how only Atlanta and Miami are safe for us. And that's just not the truth. Richmond imprinted on me, and I know in 2021, we will meet again on a more permanent basis. I've always spoken up in the face of injustice, racism, and the issues plaguing our community. However, as far as what I knew activism to be, I never thought it would be a priority in my life. And I'm not calling myself an activist, but I'm actively working for the betterment of my people. I constantly share information. I created two whole ass sections on my website just for the movement. You can find it Black Lives Matter and now what? And I've made it a purpose of mine to hype up black owned companies. I also use this show to educate. LA Unmastered is more than just music. It is about my life. I'm a black woman in America, so I'm going to talk about that. When I look back on this year, it's easy to focus on the fact that I'm now 35, unemployed, living with my mom, single, and just kind of lost. This show allowed my brain to keep functioning. Sometimes I would just be watching TV and get an idea for an upcoming episode and write it in my notes. This show combined with therapy has honestly kept me alive. It has given me purpose. 
something to look forward to, even with all the rejections from potential jobs and just life in general. Many years from now, when I reflect on this year, because I will not be doing that anytime soon, I will remember the pain, sadness, and suffering, but I'll also remember my strength, my growth, and my drive. Isolation has been tough, even for an introverted extrovert like me. I love being alone and often prefer it. But having all the time in the world to explore every dark crevice of my mind has been eye-opening and a little bit damaging. Waking up every day and trying to find something to live for is really hard when you don't have the essentials that people tell you make life worth living. This year, I found out that the path to true happiness isn't landing the perfect job, affording a baller apartment, or meeting the man of my dreams. It is in fact turning inward and discovering what happiness means for me. And honestly, it's as simple as my parents never having been sick, my family is healthy and safe, realizing my dopeness, and I get to open my eyes every single day and listen to music. My joy comes from simplicity, and I never really knew that. I'm kind of extra if you haven't noticed. (laughs) Understand, I still want all of those things, but now I'm actually ready for them. My happiness is not a product of societal markers. My happiness is knowing who the fuck I am and loving the shit out of this person. Lauren Allen is awesome, beautiful, and brilliant. And it has taken me a long time to get to this point. And I thought I had no wins this year, but that was the biggest win of all. As this year comes to a close, let's celebrate quietly at home. Let's look to 2021 as the year we can truly enjoy our time together. Please, let's not party like it's 1999. And that, my friends, is how you drop a titular line. Here are the top five songs of 2020. Okay, well, I couldn't just settle on five, so I'm going to drop five honorable mentions and a bonus track, too. I'm sorry, y'all. It's just too hard. So here are the honorable mentions. Jaguar by Victoria Monet. Bittersweet by Leanne Le Havis. Nothing Without You by Tenorel. Lockdown by Anderson Pock. St. Cloud by Waxahachie. Feels Good by Tierra Wax. Okay, here are the actual top five songs of 2020. Number five, Say Hello by Somerset Thrower. Like I said in Uncharted, this song will stick with me forever. First of all, I want to start with the chorus because it fucking hits. Nothing's the same. I made it that way. I was far out. Now every sunrise is like saying goodbye. It's the one I'm counting on. The second verse, though, yo, cash out. Uh, I saw you on the way down, and I woke up on your street like seventeen. Uh, okay, wait, 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 one more part, one more part. This, this is what really does it for me. Now I keep holding out. The sidewalks to wrap around. All right, I'm sorry, guys. Frank, I will never be able to do you justice, but this is my jam, like jam jam. I sing this shit every day. So for me, I interpreted this song as depression. 
You feel like everything is your fault. You put yourself in this situation, no matter the hand life dealt you. Every day you wake up and it's like, again, and you just face the day. In reality, it's not really an end you seek. It's a do-over, a fresh start, the ability to go back and make things right. But you keep going and you get to a point where you see the sunrise and you welcome it by saying hello. The song spoke to my broken spirit. Sometimes when you're going through it, all you want to hear is someone saying, life sucks for me too. I hate it here too, but we'll get through it together. So my interpretation is a little bit darker than what the band intended. Again, one of the coolest things is when you have a song and it's from a band you love and you know the band and you can ask the band what the song means. It's just such an honor and I appreciate you, Connor. Hey, that rhymed. And thank you so much, Frank, for breaking it down. He says, say hello is pure nostalgia for me. I wrote the lyrics with old friends in mind. The music reminded me of bands we used to listen to back in the day. So I wanted to reflect on those feelings. Everyone has experienced broken relationships and the lyrics speak to that. The chorus lyrics are me confronting my own shit and how I could have been a better friend and a partner at times. Things change. As you get older, you may not have that same positive outlook you did waking up every day like when you were young. Like Swerve Driver said, never lose that feeling. The actual meaning of the song is more reflective and less Debbie Downer than my ass had in mind. However, the nostalgia aspect Frank speaks of is my primary feeling from this song. For me, Say Hello is Scott Wheeland and Stone Temple Pilots on Creep. Rivers Cuomo and Weezer on Say It Ain't So. And it's Jim Atkins eating the world on Polaris and Work. These are rock songs where you know it's rock. There's a toughness to it. But in these songs, you get a glimpse of reality. You get the pain and the softness that is often presented in an alternate way, if at all. These tracks and Say Hello are raw. You cannot avoid feeling when you hear these songs. And the last two minutes of the song is just them going the fuck in instrumental style. It's just everything. This is a prime example of what I'm talking about in episode two. There are some punk riffs I feel like could be a perfect backdrop for a hip hop song. I wish I could rhyme so I could beg y'all to let me on the remix, but I can't. So lucky you. Ah, you see what I did there? I know, I know. This song also gives me the same feels as the breakdown in November Rain, which is one of my favorite songs. It is epic and emotional. Say Hello is in another class, though. It is nostalgic, but I've never heard anything like this. It feels familiar in a way, but so new. They did something incredible here, and I'm so grateful. Number four, Better Than I Imagined, Robert Glasper, featuring her and Michelle Indicello. The dopest thing about this song was that it came after one night in the studio. Well, allegedly. As the story goes, according to some random on Genius, and I'm choosing to believe it because I love it, Glasper and her connected at the photograph premiere, which if you have not seen that movie, you must. Lakeith and Issa falling in love. Yes, please. 
So apparently her was like, we need to get into the studio. Glasper was like, I'm down. When? She was like, how about tonight? And he was like, cool. And then a few hours later, we had one of the best songs of the year. Then you add Michelle with a spoken word verse. I'm done. I've melted away. When I tell you this song made me miss love, the lyrics describe a love that hasn't faded. No matter what she did or tried, her heart still yearned for this person. And no matter how much it hurts her, every time she goes back to think about the two of them together, it's always better than she imagined. It's always better than anyone who's ever crossed her path. I thought it'd be worse cause it hurts me but still I can't see myself with no one else cause it was better than I imagined. Okay, it's this feeling of loss and wondering if you should still be feeling this way and if you're even able to get it back. Dated to replace you, maybe I'm just afraid to, phone you, need you to tell me if it's okay to. Is it okay? She's reaching out her hand and hoping they reach back. This song is so damn beautiful and reminded me that this heart of mine still beats and yearns for love. Number three, How Will I Rest in Peace If I'm Buried by a Highway by Kenny Hoopla. Okay, so I've brought up Kenny Hoopla on almost every show. I mean, my second episode was entitled Culture is So Claustrophobic, which are lyrics from this tune. I cannot express enough how much I dig his music. I say Chica and him are my favorite finds of 2020. Since I've already gone through how I discovered this jam, aka old school style on the radio, I'm just going to hype up these lyrics real quick. They say you clean up nice. You look like a dead man, like a dead man. She said you dress up nice. I feel like a dead man, a dead man. Okay, basically he's saying when you die, they dress you up and paint you to look like this perfect version of yourself. Oftentimes, that is not who you are. And no matter how pretty they make you, that'll never be you. So he's saying he's putting on this costume to be this person society said he should be. He's getting complimented by said society. But inside, he feels like a dead man, dressed up to be a person he never was or will be. That shit is deep. He was 19 when he wrote this. It is astonishing. Kenny, but this song especially, really got me through this year. His music spoke to me. He is a young black punk rocker from Wisconsin who protests and speaks for his people through his words and through his song. I wish he was around when I was younger, but I'm just glad I have him now. Number two, Are You Even Real by James Blake. I spoke about James Blake's IG performances on my very first episode. He was exactly what we needed. His voice is like none other. When I hear him sing, I always feel like I'm in this perfect dream I never want to end. I will mention it every single time. His cover of Frank Ocean's Godspeed is breathtaking. Putting this out there again for 2021-2022, Frank and James go on the emotional release tour. And that is what we all need. Are You Even Real is melodious. It starts with what sounds like church bells and a choir of angels. James and his piano enter and you are instantly floating. To me, the song describes a man in love with a woman so perfect for him that he doesn't even believe it's real. 
I love when he says, there's no knife because there's no tension. There's nothing bad here, only the beauty of lucid dreaming. In the chorus, she asks him, tell me how you feel. And he replies, are you even real? Are you even real? He says, all I can do is trust in her. Late night, I can see the lust in her. Basically, I can only take her word for it. Yeah, when it's time to get down with the get down, (laughs) she's down. But is this real and not just a moment? This song is truly beautiful. And even being single during quarantine, which has honestly been one of the best things for me, I knew that I wanted that. I miss that. That love that is so delicious and rare that it must be a dream. But it's not. I miss being that lucky in love and I cannot wait to have that again. James Blake really kept me from being a cynical single this year. Number one, Savage, Major Lazer Remix by Megan Thee Stallion. What would we have done without Megan this year? Honestly, she kept us entertained. She has been such a voice for us. She has survived, triumphed, and still found time to have a good time and make us laugh. This 25-year-old legend in the making is a true icon of 2020. As we begin to overthrow these celebrities, let's protect Megan. She's cool people. Now, Savage had everyone, I don't care who you are, practicing that dance alone in your domain. Some of us perfected it and took it to the internet, while others, aka me, just wanted to make sure they still got it. (laughs) I did. I just, no one needed to see that. Okay, trust me. Y'all got my body dance. I think that's enough. But Savage, the song and the challenge started off quarantine for us. We were still hopeful back then and we were enjoying partying in our houses. That soon changed, but we did have a good time. I know y'all are like, but what about the Bane remix? Wait, hold up. Let me, let me just make sure I still got it. Yep. I got a, got an EpiPen right here. Um, I didn't love it. Ooh. I don't really enjoy it when your queen raps. It just makes me feel, ooh. The Major Laser remix though, yeah, that shit slaps and it took Savage to a whole other level. This shit was hyphy and I was so here for it. Anytime I was in a bad mood, I would put this song on and remind myself who the fuck I was. This song empowers me and this beat elevates that for me. It starts off with heavy bass and Meg goes off. My favorite line will always be, I would never trip on a nigga if I had him. Bitch, that's my trash. You the maid, so you bagged him. Ah. How do you not hear that and feel like the baddest bitch to ever do it? The chorus we all know kicks in. The bass fades away. You hear clapping in an element of deep house. Then you hear Megan repeat, I'm a savage, 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 savage. And you know that beat is about to drop. Then you hear, I'm I'm, I'm the doom, 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 doom. Okay, I can't and won't continue to embarrass myself anymore. But the beat drop after the second verse is different and it's fucking fantastic. I truly love that song. Over the summer, I would sit in the beach parking lot and just blast this. It was the one song I would crave and need a hit of. It brought me so much calmness and peace, surprisingly. 
But it reminded me that I could get through anything, including this year, because I'm a fucking savage. To hear the top five songs of 2020 and all the honorable mentions I listed, be sure to follow me on Spotify at LA Unmastered or visit me at LAUnmastered.com slash top five. And that's the number five. Thank you so much for listening to the eighth episode of LA Unmastered. I appreciate y'all sticking with me, even though this schedule has been anything but predictable. I like to look at it as a fun surprise every month. I would also like to give a huge thank you to Zachary Mezzo. He composed the LA Unmastered theme song and edits every single episode. He also just finished his last fall semester of college ever. And he was just interviewed in a Newsday article because he's a dope ass chess player. I will share the link to the article on social. But so you know, the article is entitled Chess Rises in Popularity on LI Due to the Pandemic and Netflix. You can also check out his music at soundcloud.com slash Zachary dash Mezzo. By the time you hear this, it will be 2021. That means you made it. We are out of 2016.4, but we still have more work to do. 2021 will be a year of rebuilding and recuperating. We are not out of the woods yet. But I would like to leave you with a mantra from the Twitter user who brought us hope and joy in the last quarter of 2020. Jarrell, a.k.a. Relly B. Because I'm at where the what? Where the money reside, where the money reside, where the money reside. May you prosper as the person 2020 helped you become. And may 2021 bring you peace, love, and remind you to stay doing it.